You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Welcome back to Innovative Minds. I'm so proud and happy to have Cindy Gallup join me today. She is the founder of Make Love, Not Porn. Yes, that's exactly what got me interested as soon as I saw the company name. I stopped on her LinkedIn profile and I was like, hang on a minute, I'm going to go and explore what she's up to. And the next company that I saw on her profile right underneath that also grabbed my attention called Handy, which we can go into. And I was like, wow, what is she up to? Why? What is, is, she's obviously in sex tech, but and she was so bold in all her posts on LinkedIn about what she thought about how to go about and talk about sex in a very unique way. So I really wanted to bring her on and explore what she's thinking, what you know, what she's up to, because it's just really fascinating and interesting. And as a female, I think to female, it's really something we don't talk about enough. So I'm super excited to have you here, Cindy. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Melanie. I'm thrilled to be here. So tell me about Make Love, Not Porn. Sure. What, what is the concept? Sure. So Make Love, Not Porn is a complete and total accident because I never consciously intentionally set out to do anything I very bizarrely find myself doing now. It came about because I date younger men. The men I date tend to be in their 20s. And, and I, I should probably just contextualize for our audience that I am somebody who has never wanted to be married. I have never wanted children. Very glad I always knew that as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. And by the way, did you know it is International Child-Free Day today? So it is my day today. Um, I adore being single. I cannot wait to die alone. And I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. And I'm deliberately very open about all of that because we don't have enough role models in society for women and for men that demonstrate you can live your life very differently to the way you're expected to and still be amazingly happy. And I'm one of the happiest people I know. So there I was dating younger men 14, 15 years ago now. The men I date tend to be in their 20s. And I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering what happens when we don't talk openly and honestly about sex in the real world. Porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I know where that's coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 14, 15 years ago, nobody was talking about this. No one's writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I'm going to do something about this. So 13 years ago, pure as a little side venture, I put up on No Money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Had the opportunity to launch it at the TED conference in 2009, became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage, six times. The talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website 
that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every single country in the world, and I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so I then felt a responsibility to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective. And I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. And so I turned Make Love Not Porn into a business. And basically because what I was encountering was the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. You know, if we did amongst many benefits, people would be able to bring a real world mindset when they view what is performative produced entertainment. So given this mission of making sex easier to talk about, I turned Make Love Not Porn into the world's first and only user-generated, human-curated, social sex video sharing platform. So we are what Facebook would be if it allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it doesn't. If porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, Make Love Not Porn is the badly needed documentary. We are a unique window onto the funny, messy, loving, wonderful sex we all have in the real world. You know, we're basically bringing the principles of social media to this area of universal human experience no other social network or platform will allow in order to socialize sex. Make it easy to talk about to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. So anybody can share their real world sex videos. And we have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent, and stream what we call social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, whom we call our Make Love Not Porn stars. And so we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the fact we're making it social. Wow. So can anyone just get on there and basically start, you know, creating and, you know, producing and pushing into the channel? Is it, you know, or is there criteria? Does it have to be a couple? Like, is there any kind of exclusions? No, we celebrate the full glorious spectrum of human sexuality, male, female, trans, non-binary, couples, solo, masturbation videos. But, but here's the really important thing, because we are unique, Melanie, in a number of ways. And one of the most unique things about us is I designed Make Love Not Porn through the female lens to be the safest place on the internet. And that's because I designed it around what everybody else should have, nobody else did, human curation. Our curators watch every frame of every video submitted from beginning to end before we approve or reject and we publish it. And by the way, there's no self-publishing of anything on Make Love Not Porn. We curate everything. We review every post on every member profile before we approve and publish it. We review every comment on every single video before we approve that comment or reject it and publish it. And that's why, you know, we can vouch for every single piece of content on our platform in a way that nobody else can. And that is why we have an amazing community and we are the safest place on the internet. That's amazing. And in terms of the revenue sharing model that you've come up with, which is incredible, I really love the fact that you're giving back to the content creators in this and motivating them. A lot of the social media platforms, as you know, don't do. But I guess in this unique situation, it's it works because you're also 
charging, I guess, to view? Is it per view of per video that someone would watch and, you know, contribute to watch that particular video? And how would they know that that, you know, video is something that's going to be really good quality because it's not like you're getting to see any kind of sample or is it so that how does that work no you are actually although i hasten to add melanie that you know because we are real world sets we're not about quality you know and we are not a production studio people have sex and they film themselves on their camera phones on their webcams you know i mean the point isn't the quality the point is that we are giving you this privileged intimate glimpse into how Everybody has sex in the real world. So, um, so to your question, um, you know, first, first of all, um, we have a subscription model. So you pay, you know, $10, $30, $50 a month um, for, for a certain number of credits. Although you can also rent per video as well, if you'd like to just start with one. And, yes, you know, I thought I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but what, what we do in terms of giving you a sense of the video is we ask all our Make Love Not Porn stars to make a free-to-access intro video. And Got we it. give them complete creative freedom with this. All we ask them to do is to contextualize their real world sex video, because real world sex has context. It has a backstory, it has relationships. And so, you know, some people will talk to the camera and, you know, reminisce about this particular occasion or talk about what they were feeling at the time. And I'll tell you how this works. Soon after we launched 10 years ago, and by the way, we get amazing emails every day from our community who go, oh my God, I love this platform. You've transformed my life. But because as a unique venture, we have a very unique capability. We have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better in a way that nothing else does. I'm sure I'll come on to that. But anyway, so, so this man wrote to me soon after we launched and he went, I never pay for porn. And so, you know, I wasn't going to pay for real world sex. You know, I thought I'll just check out this new platform because there was a lot of like news media around us when we first launched 10 years ago, you can imagine. He went, you know, I thought I'll, I'll just check it out, but I'm not paying for anything. He said, I began watching one of your intro videos and the couple in it was so interesting, I thought, oh, my God, I have to see how these guys have sex. And I wrote a video. Okay? So, so, so that, that's how those work. But, you know, I, I'm really glad you like our revenue share model, Melanie, because I'll tell you why I designed that. Because mm. I designed it to democratize access to income. And I designed it because, you know, I feel very strongly that everybody should be able to make money out of what they create online. I feel that especially strongly because my background career-wise is theater and advertising, two industries where ideas and creativity are massively undervalued even by the creators themselves. And so I believe that when you create something anything that gives other people pleasure, and that could be a piece of writing, you know, a piece of journalism, you know, whatever it is, I believe that you should absolutely see a financial return on it. And the more people you give more pleasure to, the greater that financial return should be. So when, when we launched again 10 years ago, I wrote a blog post introducing our revenue share business model. And I titled it, How Make Love Not Porn Can Help the Global Economy. And I began it by saying, you know, all those little scam ads that pop up on the internet all the time going, make $2,000 a week working from home. Well, now you can. And, you know, I said, my vision for Make Love Not Porn is that one day your real world sex video, your social sex video, Make Love Not Porn, could get a million rentals at $5 per rental and we give you half that income. 
Now, we're a very long way off that because unfortunately my tiny team and I fight a huge battle every day against prejudice and bias against anything sex related. You know, Correct. building this business is very difficult. But I have to tell you, I'm thrilled about the fact that our Make Love Not Porn stars tell us that the money they've earned from Make Love Not Porn has enabled them to pay their rent, you know, pay off student loans, go on vacations they couldn't otherwise have afforded. And during the pandemic, helped a number of them to survive when they lost their jobs. And it's just wonderful knowing that. Absolutely. I want to touch on how difficult it is to grow a business like yours, given what the social media platforms and their limitation in advertising and what they actually enable us to put out restricts businesses like yours to grow. And I'll give you an example of censorship, I guess, with a way to say it, but what LinkedIn, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn and I promote it and we're both very active over mm. in LinkedIn. So when I went to the ad stream of LinkedIn and I said, you know, I want to advertise the services, what we do and like you, I'm very proud to have thought leaders to be sharing their authentic journey. And I want to promote that, you know, through paying through their channel to get that more out there. And unfortunately, LinkedIn was saying that you can't use the word LinkedIn within their ads because they don't want people to be confused that I'm selling LinkedIn. Are you serious? Yes. But what I was trying to actually sell was, you know, thought leadership on LinkedIn. And I was trying to use that in a very, you know, I'm not, I'm obviously not LinkedIn promoting from IUB2B. So the restriction on LinkedIn is that you can't use the word LinkedIn. So all my ads got rejected. So we, um, correct, correct. And, and then, so what we all decided to do here and other agencies that were LinkedIn, we were very niche, you know, because LinkedIn's a very still new advertising platform and it's still maturing in itself. So we started using linked and then we put brackets and then put IN to trick the system to go, okay, well, we won't use whatever you're saying. So we'll just put these brackets, you know, brackets around it. So it doesn't pick it up. But within sort of two, three weeks, they had seen that and then they had, you know, rejected a full business. So all the agencies that were trying to push and promote the fact that they are LinkedIn advertising agencies or they are creative agencies or their thought leadership agencies were rejected from advertising and helping the platform actually potentially get more advertising yeah, revenue. That makes no sense whatsoever. Good God. So, but I'm guessing that you would have experienced even in Facebook and so forth, all these platforms, I, I'm guessing that you would have had huge difficulties in getting any sort of thing out because they've got restrictions in what you can actually say, words. Um, so I just gave an example. I'm guessing that's been all the way through for you. Well, um, well it's not just um, – so, so, yeah, you've identified, Melanie, one of our biggest business growth inhibitors, which is that Make Love Not Porn is banned from advertising anywhere. Correct. We are banned from advertising on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Reddit, I ask you, by the way, um, Snapchat, TikTok, Google search, YouTube, and we are banned on traditional media as well. The MTA here in New York would not allow me to advertise Make Love Not Porn on billboards in the subway. But unfortunately, that's not the only barrier we face because every single piece of business infrastructure any other tech startup gets to take for granted. We can't. The small print always says no adult content. And yeah. that is across everything. It's across funding. It's across banking. Right. It's across payments. It's across tech services I want to use. It's across software. It's across email partners. Everything is a huge battle. 
I have kept Make Love Not Porn going for 10 years on just $3 million of funding, and that is an extraordinary feat because we are in a world where 75% of all startups fail within the first five years, and Make Love Not Porn has many more obstacles than your average startup. And so that gives you some idea both of how much people want us, how much traction we have, and of the persistence and resilience and vision of me and my team. And why do you think society and why do you think we all just don't want to embrace a world where we know it's going on? We know that people are selling sex. We, we buy magazines every day, look at it. Why is it that, let's talk about the banking industry. I remember when I was in the banking industry and there would be commercial buildings that would come up and as soon as they knew that it was a brothel, which is legalised, by the way, within that particular location, it was like, no, it's against our moral values to, you know, go and undertake this loan. But it's a legalised business within that infrastructure. Why is it that we take this stance and don't want to be, why is it dirty? Because I can see what you're trying to do is not make it that dirty thing and you're trying to make it. Have you seen that Netflix series, The Sex Dungeon, like how to create your own sex dungeon oh, yeah, has yeah, come I'm, out? I'm, I'm and, aware of it, yeah. So, you know, she's also trying to socialise this concept that it's okay. Why do you think that, you know, people, what is the fear in people? Is it judgment that, you know, as to why they don't want to be involved in this? So I'm asked this question regularly. So, Cindy, why do you think we're all so repressed about sex? I'm asked it so often I now have my answer down pat. Three reasons. Reason number one. Reason number one is centuries of repression, religion, socio-cultural dynamics in every single country in the world. Okay, this is a global problem. Reason number two is the patriarchy. Because historically, every institution, including government and religion, has been male-dominated. We as women have never been allowed to bring our lens to bear on human sexuality and the world is a poorer place for it. And reason number three is, very straightforwardly, there are not enough people like me. And what I mean by that is, to your point, society makes it bloody difficult to innovate and disrupt social narratives around sex. Many people have tried and given up, and I don't blame them because my life is shitty on a daily basis because of what I do. We need many more people like me who will not give up no matter what. And so I have spent 13 years parallel pathing two things, working to build Make Love Not Porn and working to change the business and cultural context around it. Because when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And the good news is that I'm finally seeing all of the work that I have put in over the past 13 years and many other like-minded women finally pay off. We are starting to see those barriers fall. How do you keep going, you know, over that many years? Um, how do you have that mental strength to keep battling, you know, with, you know, that type of funding? Like what, what is it inside of you that inspires you to keep going for another year, another year? So this is also a question I'm asked a lot. And the answer is the single dynamic that most motivates me to keep going is the one that I characterize as, I'm going to fucking well show you. You tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. 
You put an obstacle on my path, I'm going to fucking well show you. I have to channel all of that depression and despair and demoralization into motivation to keep myself going. Do you feel that you've been excluded or judged upon, you know, in in this 13 years often? Like, is it something that, you know, do you feel that people hear about the concept or and just might go, oh, my God, I, I don't want to be involved at all in this? Like, is there, has there been, and has that changed over the years as well? Here's the enormously ironic thing, Melanie. In 13 years, um, for people generally, Make Love Not Porn has had nothing but a hugely positive reaction. Everybody wants us all around the world. We have traffic and members from 220 countries and territories. My only obstacles have been business, financial, tech, and ability to advertise ones. Those are my only obstacles, and those are the only things standing in the way of me turning Make Love Not Porn into a billion-dollar business. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, of why, you know, there is so much opportunity at huge scale. So um, as I said earlier, we are banned from advertising, including on Google search. We can't run search ads. Our growth has been entirely organic, and it's been driven over the past 10 years by two things, media coverage and organic search. Organic search is very interesting because every day, people all around the world search for Make Love Not Porn without knowing that we exist. And what I mean by that is, the top organic search terms that drive traffic to us are make love, not porn, real sex, not porn, video sexo na porno, make love, not porn, where they don't know there's a business actually called that. One young man told me that he found us when he Googled porn that is not porn. Wow. He was so fed up with everything out there, wanted something different, had no idea what to search for. When you Google porn that is not porn, you find make love, not porn. That is how much the world wants us and how much the world knows it needs us. You know, not the Hollywood blockbuster movie of porn, but the documentary that is Make Love Not Porn. And so, you know, and this is why I am working right now to raise $20 million in funding to scale Make Love Not Porn and to build out an entire Make Love Not Porn product roadmap, what I'm calling the Make Love Not Porn universe to create an entire social sex ecosystem that will not only scale what I'm doing, but enable other female-lens sexual health and wellness ventures to thrive and scale and grow as well. And I think what you're doing, it's really inspiring and enables women to feel and look up to that it's okay to enter into the sex tech industry. And, I, you know, there's just not enough people that we can look up to and actually be like, okay, it's okay to do this and to talk about it. So, you know, what you're doing, I think, is so powerful for so many women who might have other businesses who might say, I'd love to do that, but just don't know how they would be judged, right? And you take away that judgment. You don't, you always say, don't give a shit. And I think that's really, really powerful. Where, where is it? I think a lot of us women, we know that we want to enter those, but we're just so fearful that, what are people going to think? What is my family going to think? What is my colleagues going to think? Are people going to work for me? You know, you know that look that you kind of feel you might get. And that's the fear. And I guess it's oppression that's been built up inside of us for so long from a very young age that you don't go and 
talk about that sort of stuff or let alone then create business ventures. And I think you're trying to change and shape that, you know, and, and be very prominent about it, which that's why you see so many women seeing your content and going and interacting with it because it actually it actually frees you from the guilt that society has made you feel for so long. But also, Melanie, that is why I always say fear of what other people will think is the single most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. You will never own the future if you care what other people think. Absolutely. I saw that you posted something on TikTok recently and had huge amount of views and you were so out there and went for it. I was like, wow, that is awesome. Do you see TikTok as being through organic and doing things like that, raising a lot more awareness for a business like yours? Is, is that, you know, and utilizing yourself? Well, first of all, that wasn't me on TikTok. Oh, okay. um, to, no, um, to, no. Um, that was an interview I did for a brand called Style Like You, and they right. posted that interview. Cool. And cool. so, for the benefit of our listeners, um, what we're talking about here is Style Like You is a wonderful brand. It's a fashion media brand run by a mother and daughter duo, Elisa and Lily, and they have an interview series that they call What's Underneath which is where they ask the interview subjects to sit in a stool and, and, and be filmed. And they, Elisa and Lily ask a series of questions. And with each answer, the interviewee takes off an item of clothing. The idea is that you literally and metaphorically strip down to what's underneath. And they do these what's underneath interviews for different groups of people. So they have a whole couples um, series where people talk about the relationships and so on. And they asked me to participate in the, you know, older women series, which I was very happy to do. So, you know, at the age of 62, I took all my clothes off down to my underwear while just talking about myself and, you know, how I like to live my life and what I do and make love, not porn. And that interview was first published back in January. And I was blown away by the response it got, because what you've just seen is the second clip from that interview that went viral on TikTok. Right. The first one went viral back in January immediately. The last time I looked, there were 4.4 million views on TikTok. There were 900 versions where TikTokers were repurposing my audio with their own visuals. What's interesting about that is there is cross-generational appeal for not giving a damn what anybody thinks. You know, Gen Z love me. Mm -hmm. Um but, but also, I was enormously moved by many of the comments on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, because it, this has been posted in all of those places. There were so many young women saying, I'm desperate for older female role models, and I never see any in popular culture and advertising. And I was especially moved by one woman who commented on the video on Instagram, who said, imagine if we had all grown up seeing and hearing women live and talk like this, imagine how different our lives will be now. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I was thinking and looking at going, why is it that I think you look at it and as even a young female, you feel so empowered and so released, you know, and relieved in a way that maybe when, you know, we get to that age and we grow up, it's okay. You know, maybe there's change coming. It gives you this, 
glimmer of light and hope almost inside looking at it. Maybe there is going to be change. It's not going to be the same anymore. And and that's really important. Yeah, or as, as Gen Z memed me on TikTok, I have seen my future and it is bright. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What Given you've got like with your advertising that you can't really advertise, so you've got to use, you, you said that there's only so much, many streams that's possible for you. And I see you're pretty active on LinkedIn and you're posting there and you're sharing there. Is that because you enjoy posting or is that also because that is thought leadership or just posting and sharing personal that's part of one of the only streams that you can actually go in and be known within and using your personal? Um, no, um, no, no, not at all because, you know, um, I mean, we talked about the fact that Make Love and Porn is banned from advertising. I'm not banned from posting anywhere. Correct. I, you know, I post on Facebook, I post on Twitter, I post on Instagram, I post on LinkedIn. So, you know, I am simply, you you know, what I am across all those social channels is I've just been myself. I post things I think are funny. Yeah. I post things I think are important. I promote Make Love Not Porn, you know, because, because I can't advertise it. So I absolutely use my social channels to promote it. You know, I'm just being myself on LinkedIn as I am everywhere else. Tell me about you utilizing your own personal voice and for your business, because a lot of business owners, yes, they're like, yeah, I want, I want to do that, but they don't get time or they're like, why can't my business alone just stand on its own? Do you think that personalizing it and having the person that's bounder and so forth, is it something that makes it unique? Because you've been talking a lot about, you know, advertising needs to be reinvented, more creativity needs to be pushed into advertising. Is What's your viewpoint on personalization of C-suite or, you know, the founder role within any kind of business? Um, well, I think everybody responds well to the human face of businesses, whether that's a founder or, you know, somebody senior in the company. And, and I think that having leaders absolutely connect with their audiences and their consumers is incredibly important. Would you think that in your company it would you would want everyone to be doing that? Or, you know, what's your, you know, is that? Is that... Yes, yes, no, I absolutely do. And the reason I'm laughing when you ask that is because, as my tiny but perfectly formed Make Love Not Porn team can tell you, I'm, I keep exhorting them to get out there. <laughs> um, to, but because I have an amazing team and actually... And what I'm trying to do is field them instead of me in podcast interviews and media interviews for speaking engagements as much as possible, because I don't want to be the sole face of Make Love Not Porn at all. And I have a wonderfully engaging and brilliant team. Ariel Martinez, our head of curation, is amazing. Angie Cosma, our curator, is amazing. Angie is very nervous about anything public. That's that's why I laugh, mm -hmm. by the way, because no, I want my team out there. Sometimes they're a bit reluctant, you know. But uh, but, but no, um, as I said, the more human faces you can show, the better. Yeah. And so, you know, and this applies to any company, big or small. The more people see and hear from people working within your company in any capacity, you know, see the brand carried through those people, have them talk. By the way, unconstrained you know, not dictated to by corporate PR, but able to talk about, you know, what they enjoy about the company or how they feel about its work, then all of that enhances your brand. Yeah, I love that. I, I believe that too, that yes, the founder should be there, but how do you empower your next sort of employees and whoever's in your company? How do you go from all the way down to the top or across and 
everywhere. How do you get everyone to go and be a voice for your company? And I think it's about not having filter, but what we do here is now we've started setting up like an hour a week together where we just create content for our own social so people actually have time. And we put on some music and we get on and we just kind of, you know, create something that we can post because I feel like if you don't give that time, people are like, I'm always busy doing something else. So that's something that, you know, we've started doing because I was like, how do I empower Mm. the next, you know, how do I empower everyone else to do what I'm doing but it's sometimes you just need the time or show them, hey, this is what I'm creating on Canvas. So that's what we've been doing out here because you're right. Human to human, there is nothing like it. There's no, there's no unless you've got big advertising budgets that you're going to create something really creative, mm. I think smaller companies can really get a lot out of the people that you've got and their networks. Mm. Yep, no, do you know? I think that's a great idea. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that right. idea, Melanie. Think, I'm going to do that with my team. That's awesome. You know what else you can do? Another great tip is all the content you've posted. What I do is I said, these are all my content that's been published on this row. And then I just re- duplicate and I send it to them as, and they can go and repost it and reword it so that they've got extra content. If it's, their journey is mm. just starting, I know how hard it can be. Right that, you know, here's some of my content that's done really well. You can go repurpose that if you'd like. So they've already, when they start the journey, they've got mm. six, seven content ideas sitting on their board mm. that's gone well um, that they can repurpose. So that was mm. another little quick tip that I thought. So when they start, mm. they get a board and they've got ideas already written and captionized and it's like you can move this now into your own words. Tell me, um, tell me about Handy. I was really... I was like, wow, this is so cool. Tell me about that venture. Handy is actually an Australian venture, and it is not called Handy anymore. It's called Bumper. Oh. And, in fact, um, I must go back and correct that. If I haven't corrected that on my LinkedIn profile. Um, and I'll explain why. But, but, but I'll tell you where it came from first. So I absolutely love it because Bumpin is the brainchild of a brother and sister duo, Heather, um, Heather Morrison and Andrew Gerza. Andrew is disabled. And so Bumpin' is sex toys by disabled people for disabled people. And, you know, when they first told me about what they were planning to launch, I just absolutely loved it because what I said to them was, you know, um, it's as true in sex as it is anywhere else. You know, when we make the world more accessible for disabled people, we make the world more accessible for everybody. And so, you know, when they were talking about, you know, designing their first sex toy, which is called the joystick, it's hands-free. And I was going, oh, my God, I love that because, you know, my hand aches when I have to hold my vibration position for too long. You know, we'd all love hands-free, you know, vibrators. Now, um, it started out being called Handy, and it is no longer called Handy because there is a, you know, white, able-bodied, male-founded um, sex tech company in Europe making sex toys for men who trademarked the name Handy and um, spelled with a Y wow. and basically came after Handy. Mm. Yeah, bad form. But anyway, so so now Handy is called Bumpin, as in get Bumpin. And I think that's very, very cute. Oh, and very wow. Memorable. Okay. And with that business venture, are they still also got the similar limitations to you in advertising? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, 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 they have all the same so problems. Exactly. Is there a community, I guess, anyone that's listening on of people where, you know, they are within this particular industry where they face those kind of advertising issues? Is there any communities that people can join that 
are exploring. Oh my God, absolutely. Yep, yep. So, so they can join Women of Sex Tech. Okay. I'm a founder member of Women of Sex Tech, which was started by um, Polly Rodriguez of Unbound and Lydia Benilla of House of Plume here in New York, gosh, seven, eight years ago now. And uh, we're just overhauling the website, but there is a private Facebook group called the Women of Sex Tech. So anybody who is basically a woman working in sex tech can apply to join that group. And we are a fantastically supportive and collaborative community because we all face the same problems and we're all working to solve them together. Yeah, that's awesome to know. And are there any sort of events and so forth that are run globally that people should know about that you have gotten to know over time that where they can, you know, meet people and be inspired to connect with other people, other business ventures that are really, you know, curious and want to invest into this space of sex tech? There are a couple of um, sex tech conferences that happen in Germany, in Berlin. Berlin is a great, you know, sex tech community center as well. But, but, but other than that, no, because events require money. And none of us has any because people won't fund us. It, and that's so interesting because whenever we hear the sex industry, right, we hear, oh, there's so much money in the sex industry. No, um, no, um, no, um, no. Unfortunately, Melanie, because we are talking about the single area of universal human experience we are almost fucked up about, people default to stereotypes precisely because we do not talk about this. There is no money in, in porn for a start. Right. Okay. What happened to porn is exactly what happened to music. The flood of free content online destroyed their old world order business model. They haven't invented a new one. Okay. Same thing happened with streaming. Okay. The same things happen in journalism. The same things happened in television. You know, um, the same things happen to every industry. Secondly, there absolutely is a huge amount of money made out of sex, okay, but not when we face all, all the barriers we do, which is why I'm out to change this, because the point I make, and, and this is where the value is to be unlocked, the point I make to investors is, oh, my God, the money that there is yet to be made, still to be made out of sex, but in two areas, the second one, which nobody ever thinks about because nobody even thinks it's possible. So the first area is obviously money to be made out of sex. We all have it. We all enjoy it. Recession proof. Market never goes away. But the second area is, oh, my God, the money to be made out of socially acceptable sex. Because when you do what I am doing with Make Love Not Porn, socialize and normalize all of this, you then normalize people feeling really okay about openly, publicly buying your goods, products, and services, and then openly, publicly doing what they do with everything else. Publicly review, publicly recommend, publicly share, you know, publicly advocate, and publicly badge themselves as brand ambassadors for every one of us. That's the trillion dollar financial future I'm going after. Are you ever concerned, Cindy, that there's going to be copycats as soon as, you know, you unlock funding, as soon as, you know, you make that change? There's going. Oh, my God, Melanie, I'm dying for copycats. <laughs> um, I would love copycats because the more copycats, I mean, look at that in the tech world generally, in any other world. You know, look at like sequels and franchises. The more copycats, the better, because it says there's a fucking huge market here. No, I would adore copycats. Unfortunately, I'm not going to get any. Because as you have heard, I am operating in a very high barrier to entry sector. So no, 
I'm not facing any competition to what Make Love Not Porn uniquely does anytime soon. Right. And do you see Make Make Love Not Porn being sort of the next Netflix but within our phone, you know, where we can hop in and yeah absolutely is that the vision absolutely. that you know pay yeah. a small um, subscription uh, uh, with the aim also melanie of ultimately getting bought by netflix for a huge amount of money because when when i had the idea of make love not porn tv i pitched it for two years between 2009 and 2011 that's how long it took me to find one angel investor who put up $500,000 in seed funding for me to build a platform and he said to me you know 11 years ago whenever it was he said what's our exit strategy? And I said to him, our exit strategy doesn't exist yet. We are going to create it. Because again, when I socialize sets, when I normalize all of this, the single biggest market in the entire world, then one day, Netflix who has never ever monetized this. When I make Make Love Not Porn socially acceptable and shareable, Netflix is our exit strategy. By the way, it's only one of many, but, and by the way, when I say also that Make Love Not Porn operates in the single biggest market in the world, what I mean by that is not porn, not sex, the market of human happiness. That's beautiful. I love that. I, I love what you're working on. I love all the ventures that you're part of. What, what are some other ventures that you are part of that you would like to share that have got this uniqueness? Because everything that you seem to get into has got a unique, unique sort of, you know, selling point within this industry. And I think you, you know, handpick them. In the sex tech world, and, and, and I'm very selective. I, I only advise, you know, as you surmise correctly, Melanie, truly innovative ventures. So Another one is, again, fabulous female founder, you know, um, Asian-American, Frances Tang, and her wonderful company, Awkward Essentials. Because this is another one of those ventures where only a woman would come up with these products. And so Frances' first product was the Dripstick, which is basically the solution to when you are a straight couple, you know, um, in a committed relationship, you're not using condoms, you know, the man comes inside the woman and then you have that, you know, do I lie here, let it all leak out, then we have to sleep on the wet patch? Or do I do the crab walk to the bathroom, sit in the loo, grab the handles of the toilet paper? And so the drip stick is a patented sponge on a stick. You keep a supply on your bedside table. And after sex, you just stick one up, you twirl it around, pull it out and done. And now you can cuddle on the dry patch. So genius. And then Francis's second product is called Mainstream. And it's a disposable pee funnel. So it enables women to urinate, you know, along the hiking trail, you know, behind a tent at the music festival. It's, it's a package with a, a little disposable funnel and a couple of sheets of toilet paper. And again, it's genius. Wow. Only a woman. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing because I guess if anyone is listening and they feel inspired and they do want to create this, they know that, Cindy, you're there as well and they can reach out to you if they're creating something truly innovative? Well, well no, 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 steady on, steady on. They can't reach out to me. But, and I say that just because I'm a bootstrapping, struggling entrepreneur. And every day I get 15 million messages wow. on LinkedIn, you know, in my email. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm excited, but, but I get a ton of messages every single day from people asking for free advice, free mentoring, free meetings, free calls. I am not in a financial position 
as a bootstrapping struggling entrepreneur to spend the huge amount of unpaid time it would take to respond to every one of those messages. So I do do paid personal coaching and consultancy. You can absolutely reach Perfect. out for that. But otherwise, if you just follow me on social, watch my talks, read my interviews, you get plenty of advice. <laughs> That's out great of those. to actually make that very clear. I think you're absolutely right. We all get that free, hey, can I get X amount of time? But I guess if you've, if you've got a really innovative startup, you're willing to pay for the advice, you think that she's doing some amazing thing, it really maybe, you know, molds in really well with what you're doing as you've seen with some of the stuff that you are involved in. Absolutely. I think it's inspiring. You really are truly inspiring and doing things that are so different. And I really want to thank you for doing it because I think you're, you know, creating the next generation of women that will actually come in and be inspired by you to probably come into this space, you know? And so I want to thank you for taking it on and inspiring all of us to say, okay, like this is possible. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Melanie. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining me. I've really learned a lot about your businesses. I've learned about the industry that I really wasn't, you know, as deeply knowing everything that you've shared and you've really, you know, left me with thoughts and I really look forward to watching your journey and I re- I hope that you close this 20 mil of funding round so we can see this idea evolve to everything that you've visioned. Thank you, Melanie. And can I just say to the audience, if you like what I've said, please support my startup. Go to makelovenotporn.tv, sign up, subscribe. Consider becoming a Make Love Not Porn star. You can make good money. And also you can follow uh, me and Make Love Not Porn you know, at Cindy Galler, at Make Love Porn on Instagram on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. I'm on Facebook. Make Love Reports on Facebook as well. And um, we, we need all the help we can get. So I'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. <laughs>